The world of mixed martial arts looks very different today than it did just 20 years ago. Once the red-headed stepchild of sports, talked about only in hushed whispers and watched only on videotapes you had to return to your questionable neighbor, mixed martial arts has grown into a global phenomenon on the sweat and blood of hundreds of legendary fighters and thousands of epic events. These pioneers should not be forgotten, so crack open a cold beer, relax, and let Adam and Lewis regale you with the tales of mixed martial arts yesteryear, now on Punch Drunk History. As the only person ever to hold championships in the NCAA, WWE, and the UFC, Brock Lesnar blurred the lines between entertainment and reality more than any other fighter before him. The Man Mountain, with a brash public persona and tattoos to match, in his pomp, put more eyeballs than any other fighter in UFC history. Brock Lesnar was the first UFC fighter whose pay-per-views eclipsed 1 million buys at UFC 91 and 1.3 million buys at UFC 100. Lesnar is a walking, talking contradiction, holding UFC records and winning a world title faster than any man before him. But questions of what if caused by life-threatening illness, as well as the shadows cast by Usada, ultimately take his accomplishments, leaving a legacy much smaller than it might have been. The fact that Lesnar is still one of the most talked about fighters, despite retiring from the UFC, proves he was truly one of the sports superstars. But how good was Brock Lesnar really? Was he legitimately at one point the baddest man on the planet? Or simply a good athlete propped up in favorable matchups? To discuss this question and more, I'm joined by my Punch Drunk co-host, Adam. Welcome to Punch Drunk History. How good was that, listeners? Thanks. Happy to be here, Lewis. Punch Drunk History number one, Keen. I think we couldn't have picked a bigger, better person to go first with. He's world-renowned. I think people that don't even follow fighting follow Brock Lesnar or just at least know who he is. He's close to the Conor McGregor level in terms of just the name and the likeness. So where do we want to start? You know, if you have listened to Punch Drunk before the first couple of episodes, first of all, thank you. Welcome to Punch Drunk History. And what we're going to be doing in these, you know, quote unquote, special episodes is going back in time and looking at the fighters that really molded the UFC, looking at those iconic fighters, iconic events, something a little bit different for us to talk about in between the, you know, the major cards and other talking points that we want to get into. So absolutely, Brock Lesnar, one of the UFC's biggest ever stars, certainly one of the biggest fighters to uh, to be on their roster. So let's let's start at the beginning. And Brock Lesnar, you know, came into the UFC after just one professional MMA fight, and that first fight was against you know one of the legends of the sport, Frank Mir. Yeah, and spoiler alert: if you haven't watched it, it was what twelve years ago now. Frank Mir <laughs> beat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the statute of limitations has passed on that one. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. But, you know, Frank Mir did what he did best in his career 
and submitted submitted a, a dangerous opponent. He caught Brock Lesnar in a knee bar, and and really it was it was a learning lesson, a learning lesson, a learning point uh, for Brock Lesnar to take a lesson from, uh, and to not rush things when he got on the ground with you know a superior jujitsu player. Mir took some serious shots. There are so few heavyweights that have such an agile guard. And here he gets it, he flips him over, locks a hold of it, pulls it in deep, and Brock Lesnar forced to submit. Huge victory for Frank Mir. Now make no mistake about it, Brock Lesnar was a tremendous collegiate wrestler, as I mentioned at the top. He held title, a title in the NCAA, which is the uh, you know the body which governs college wrestling or all college athletics in America, but where where college wrestling falls under, I think he had a record of 103 and five or something ridiculous like that. He truly was an elite Division One collegiate wrestler and national champion. So he did have true, you know, combat pedigree coming into the UFC. It wasn't just a guy coming out of WWE who wanted to you know actually fight instead of you know playing tag. Yeah, definitely. And I think to draw it back to this first fight with Frank Mir, I think it was the first time a lot of people might have watched UFC. Uh, He brought, obviously, a WWE crowd. He brought the shock factor crowd. He brought the casual fans. And if I'm being frank, I was probably a casual fan at that point. It's 12 years ago, nearly 13 years ago. So I was definitely a casual fan at that point. And I can't remember the first card that I, the first main card that I ever watched, but I remember Brock Lesnar was the man around about when I started becoming a complete fanatic. And the Frank Mir fight was just a reminder to everyone on planet Earth that it doesn't matter who's the biggest in the fight and who's the scariest looking guy. Fighting in general is more of an art than it is just brute and brawn. Absolutely. And. As you said, it brought a lot of eyeballs and people who weren't necessarily UFC fans at that point over. Now, Mir against Lesnar wasn't even the main event on this card. It was, um, you know, it was Antonio Nogueira against Tim Sylvia uh, for the interim. Yeah, it was for the interim UFC uh, heavyweight title. And so being the co-main event, and this event still did 650,000 pay-per-view uh, pay-per-view buys which you know at the time was you know really unheard of go over to the next card ufc 82 which was a matchup between the legend anderson silver and dan henderson who was champion of pride right this was one of the absolute legendary matchups of its time that did half you know half the buys at three hundred twenty-five thousand. the very next pay-per-view this was you know Fans tuning in for the first time, putting their hand in their pockets and purchasing a pay-per-view because Brock Lesnar was fighting in the UFC. Now, that in itself is historic and and legendary. And really, we can look at Brock Lesnar as one of the pioneers of pay-per-view in the UFC and really laid the groundwork for the other superstars before him. So that in itself was very impressive. But as you said, he lost that fight. He lost that fight to Frank Mir, got submitted, and uh, yeah, uh, came back. Oh, when was it? About six months later. About six months later, had his second fight in the UFC against Heath Herring. 
Brock Lesnar charges out of the gate, connects right out of the right out of the gate with a big right hand and drops Heath Herring, and that was a sign of things to come. I mean, this is uh, about as one-sided a beating as you could see. And incredibly, in this man's third MMA fight ever. And this is really, you know, the beginning of Brock Lesnar's championship one because he won a unanimous decision over, over Heath Herring. And this put him in a position then to go on. Uh, and the UFC decided to, to, to give him the title shot against, you know, absolute legend, Hall of Famer, Captain America, Randy Couture. Yeah, Captain America, that's a, one of the best nicknames. I think it couldn't fit him any better either, Randy Couture. But this fight is probably it's probably his most famous win. Would you agree with that? Against Randy Couture? Yeah, just the most well-known one. I think it's maybe the most replayed one, I should say. Probably not the... Probably not his best, but definitely the most replayed Brock Lesnar win. I think you see the pummeling of Randy Couture's head in nearly every UFC highlight reel, every UFC cut, and it's one of the yeah, it's one of the most famous clips. I think maybe now that they're trying not to show the the brutality of it to the to the big <laughs> audience, they might hide it a little bit. But there's twenty five to thirty just little elbows and little hammer fists to the head, and he is bouncing. Randy Couture's head off the canvas like a basketball before the ref stands in and calls the fight. And Brock Lesnar, the wrestling champ, the WWE champ, now becomes a UFC heavyweight champ. Heavyweight title oh, on the line. Couture is down. Lesnar is trying to finish. Brock Lesnar pounding away on Randy Couture. Randy trying to survive. He's a short little shot. And And this, without question, is the moment that made him a true star, right? This was someone who transitioned over from WWE and was now holding aloft the UFC heavyweight strap, which with it comes the implied title of baddest man on the planet. And he'd done it against one of the greatest fighters, you know, up until that point that the UFC had ever seen. We were talking, we're talking like it, like I said, we're talking about Randy Couture, Captain America, who'd you know, won titles at multiple weight classes and uh, and was truly one of the best. Now, first of all, I don't think Brock Lesnar necessarily deserved this title shot. One win against Heath Herring, who, yeah, he had some fights back in his day, but Heath Herring would die inside of six seconds if you put him in with, with a modern heavyweight. So I don't chalk that up as a truly quality win. And Heath Herring was just coming off a split decision win over Czech Congo. So who was then relegated to, you know, the undercard in his next, in his next fight. So not a huge believer in really that Brock Lesnar deserved the title shot. Having said that, the UFC from time to time has given opportunities to guys who didn't necessarily deserve it because it made sense. It made pay-per-view sense. And certainly, as I, I noted in the beginning, this was the event, UFC 91, 1 million pay-per-view buyers for the very first time. So it made sense. People tuned in and they wanted to see it. And the UFC got exactly what they want. They saw a giant man weighing well over 280, 285 pounds, beat up a 45-year-old man 
who was 50 pounds lighter than him. And as legendary as Randy Couture is, and of all the superior skill set that he has to Brock Lesnar, which he does absolutely everywhere and did at the time, I would even say he, would, he was a better wrestler. He was an Olympic alternate. Randy Couture is as legit as they come. But I'm sorry, when you're 45 years old and you're going up against a guy who pisses nuclear waste from all the junk that he's injecting into himself, it's just not that impressive. And Brock got stunned a couple of times. There was moments when Randy was, you know, at least controlling his position and doing what he wanted to do. And then he got caught with an elbow that was like getting hit with a Mack truck because it had this absolute weight and power behind it. Brock Lesnar, incredible athlete, not disputing that. But I just, I can't give him credit for becoming the UFC heavyweight champion of the world or that much credit compared to some of the other guys who've done it when he took it from a 45-year-old Randy Couture who was, you know, looked like he was at least two weight classes smaller than him. All right, so this pod took a turn. We uh, see Lewis, <laughs> Lewis's stance so far on uh, Brock Lesnar, which I guess is hard to argue with for, for one, but I am going to back him up a little bit. He did def- end up defending the title a couple of times after that. So it might have been not really a deserved win, but he did win his next few fights. I would love, ba- based off your summation descent, I would love to hear your thoughts on title defence number one and title defence number two. What do you think? So let's go with title defence number one here. And that was a rematch. Yep. Time to get revenge against one Mr. Frank Mir. And i got to give Lesnar credit here because there was a lot of shit talk. This was really no love lost between these two fighters, no touching gloves uh, at the start of the bout. And, you know, Lesnar did dominate him. He, he was patient. He used his wrestling to dominate top position. He didn't give Frank Mir any space to to grapple uh, or to to be to be uh, aggressive off of his back. His grappling was strictly defensive to try and stop Brock Lesnar from improving his position even further. But essentially, for the entire first round, he took him to the ground and he sat in either half in half guard or in side control, and he just punched Frank Mir's face in. And again. Frank, Frank Mir, Frank Mir weighed, weighed in at 245 pounds, and that was his absolute maximum weight. Brock Lesnar weighed in at 265 pounds, but again, the talk of the broadcast, Rogan, Goldberg, the known fact is Lesnar was somewhere in the 280-285 pound range. So you've got a guy who's got 40 pounds, 20, over 20 kilos weight advantage, who's a truly decorated wrestler, fighting a guy who, during that fight, had his left knee strapped to Kingdom Come. It looked like he was wearing a knee brace because a few months earlier, and I was a few months removed from the fight, but he still had a knee surgery. And he had a cleanup surgery to, to remove um, flaking bones in his knee that, that was suffered when his knee got thrashed in the motorcycle accident that, that he nearly died in a few years prior. So the motorcycle accident, well removed from it. This is not an, an excuse of Frank Mir losing, but he did have a knee surgery. It was taped up. And going back and looking uh, and reviewing the fight, and I, I watched it just before we started recording this to refresh my memory, it really did seem like Frank Mir was just had no answer, no ability to stop the takedowns. Now, it's entirely possible that it was just because Brock Lesnar was so superior, but Frank's fought some good wrestlers before then and, and after then in his UFC career, and he's been able to stop the takedowns to a certain degree, but he just had absolutely nothing. 
And he did something interesting uh, at the start, you know, in the start of the second round, he'd been pummeled. He got back to his feet and he, he, he landed a few strikes on Brock. He got taken down again and Brock let him stand back up to his feet. And he thought, okay, Frank Mir is going to use this opportunity to, to strike and not get taken down again. Cause there's nothing he can do. Brock is this giant, fat, sweaty, juicy blanket. That's just laying all over him. And there's absolutely <laughs> nothing he can do about it. Frank doesn't do that. He gets some strikes and then bizarrely, he throws like a flying knee with his back up against the cage. Now, A, that's not Frank Mir's game. And B, it was such a low percentage thing to do that for a guy of Frank Mir's experience, I just, it, it seemed to me like he thought, I've got no chance of stuffing a takedown here. Um, maybe it was because Brock Lesnar was just so much better, but it seemed like the, the, attempt or a technique of someone who was really really desperate now what happens then the flying knee fails takes him down and brock lesnar punches his skull in just horrendously and the again the power that this man can generate with these absolute shovels for fists folded up just pounding pounding frank mir's head over and over and over again uh, until herb dean has no choice but to stop the fight and it's done it's settled and, oh, there was no love lost after the fight. Mir staggered to his feet. Brock Lesnar went back over, talked some shit, had to be separated by the security guards. Uh, he wasn't happy about that either. No beef squashed between those guys. And, yeah, a successful title defense for, for Brock Lesnar. Did the power shots of Brock Lesnar. He's got so much power in those fists, Mike. Just big, powerful fists come down on Frank Mir's face. Frank is pressed up against the cage, and, and as soon as he turned over, referee Herb Dean gave him plenty of chances, but he realized that Frank wasn't getting up. Congratulations. Thank you. The crowd, the crowd's roaring for me. So, yeah, a good win. A really, really good win. <laughs> what happened? What happened in this in this in this in in, in instance is Shane Carwin be, be, became the interim champion of the UFC, and it put Carwin and it put Lesnar on a collision course to compete at UFC 116 for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Adam, what went down? Um, this fight, I thought, was the most interesting out of all of his wins. At least the fact that. Lesnar has a submission in the form of an arm triangle on his record, I think is the highlight of his USC career. I know he comes from a wrestling background, which is a slightly gra grappling, but it isn't jujitsu. It isn't, you know, submission training. And I think the arm triangle that he came up with at that point was purely, he's so much bigger and stronger than most people. <laughs> on planet Earth, let alone in the UFC heavyweight division. What did you think about the actual submission? Yeah, I mean, that was exactly it. And for the, for a while, Car Car Carwin was defending it really well. He was keeping Brock in half guard. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was just his superior wrestling, but he let it once. Once he got over uh, and passed and, and was, you know, in 
sort of side control with his hips on the ground. It was all over. That squeeze was, it looked like Carwin's head was about to pop off of his neck. But for a while, Carwin was defending it quite well. Joe, here's the submission you talked about. So he's got a hold of the arm here with his head and his neck. Controlling Shane Carwin's head and his neck with his left arm. Now watch him hop out of it. And right in, squeezes it tight. As soon as he started turning the corner, see how he's turning there? That's when he tightened it up. Before that, Shane had a little bit of air, but as soon as he started turning that corner, just locked it up tight, and that's it. However, and here it comes back to me hating on Brock Lesnar again. Uh-oh. Because what we what we saw in the first round showed me Shane Carwin did not spend nearly enough time training his jiu-jitsu in his MMA career up until that point. Because he beat the absolute piss out of Brock Lesnar for nearly the entire five minutes of the first round. Carwin was a heavy, heavier hitter. He punched harder than Brock Lesnar. He was he to this day. I think Shane Carwin is one of the heaviest punchers the UFC heavyweight division and therefore the entire organization has ever seen. And it's a shame that Carwin's career really got derailed with injuries because he was on a tear. That man went undefeated and was knocking everyone out, just knocking everyone out in his in his path. And then lost to Lesnar, lost to Junior Dos Santos, and, and then that was the last fight he ever had. But there's a moment when he's got mounts on Lesnar and he's just beating him, pounding his face in. Not dissimilar to what we saw Lesnar do to Frank Mir at, one, at that point, to, to uh, Randy Couture. Really just on top, dominant, and landing strikes after strike uh, with you know unreturned strikes. Lesnar, for, in my honest opinion, was not intelligently defending himself. And Shane Carwin, there was a moment where... I thought the fight should have been stopped. Carwin was unlucky that, that 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 fight went to a second round. The fact that it did, he was gassed. There was nothing he could do at that point. He let he left it all out there, and maybe a little bit more savvy, a little bit more intelligence, he he could have got out of that fight with a win. But he burnt himself out. He never had a fight leave the first round in his MMA career before, so you can't exactly blame him for that. But there was a moment where Brock Lesnar was getting so badly beaten, he did the worst thing you can possibly do when you're flat on your back and someone is in mount. He put both of his hands right straight up in the air, like a like imagine like a, an Egyptian mummy walking forward, but on his back, and was absolutely begging Shane Carwin to armbar him. Those arms, anyone who's done a little bit of jujitsu sees that and goes, yep, that's my arm. That's going to be fight over. And Carwin was so laser focused in on, on trying to punch Lesnar and, and, and get the fight stopped. He completely ignored it. There was multiple opportunities where Carwin could have easily finished that fight on the ground. And for whatever reason, he chose not to take that opportunity. Now, that's on Carwin. So maybe you can say he didn't deserve to win win the fight because he didn't take those opportunities and finish and he wasn't in great enough uh, condition to, to come out of it and get through round two. But Lesnar, for as far as I'm concerned... For all intents and purposes, he lost that fight in the first round. And it was the first time he came against someone who had equal ability, if not better ability, standing up, who was a genuine threat. And Brock got struck and hit multiple times. And he didn't like it. He got scared. He did not like taking those punches. And he turned away from, uh, turned away and, and sort of cowered a- alongside the cage. And his face got cut up and he got beat up. And Carwin was 
Carwin was a bee's dick away from becoming the unified heavyweight champion of the world. So sounds like I'm just absolutely shitting on Brock Lesnar. I'm, I'm, maybe I am because people talk about him as like, oh, what a great heavyweight champion. I just don't think he was. I think he was, he was overrated. And I, I remember watching that fight live. I was like, this guy's going to get found out eventually. And, you know, lo and behold, next cab off the rank, he did. Yeah, so before we move on from that, his last title defense, I guess, and his last win in the UFC, you're right that the signs were there for someone that if you're watching it with a critical eye, and I'm sure anyone that knew anything about fighting was looking at it and said there was a, like there was alarming areas, there was a few concerns, but at the end of the day, Lesnar still got the win. And I remember he there did. being a he little did. bit of talk of saying... It, it, people started becoming divided because there was people on one end saying Lesnar, you know, he he's not that good. He got lucky and all this stuff. And then there's other people just saying he's that big and that frightening and that enormous that it doesn't matter what you do to him, even if you beat him up a little bit, he's still going to win. And I guess at the end of the day, people in your park, Lewis, were probably right because as you can see for the rest of his UFC career, it is kind of the beginning of the end, isn't it? It is, it is. And the next fight, he goes up against a true new breed heavyweight, a, a well-rounded mixed martial artist who had cardio for days, who had something that Shane Carwin didn't have, who had the same uh, wrestling pedigree to be able to keep the fight standing where he wanted because Cain Velasquez was a pedigree wrestler. Shane Carwin was a pedigreed wrestler. He was a national champion. Uh, Division two, albeit, but still, an NCAA Division two champion in wrestling is no mean feat. So... He had the, in the first round when he was fit, he could keep that fight where he wanted and he hurt Brock Lesnar. He gassed out and that was it. He had no no energy left and Brock Brock took him down. That was all she wrote. So you're right for Brock to, a bit, to come in at that level, to take that beating, to keep that conditioning, to come and win the fight. He showed fortitude uh, and, and that was impressive, right? And he defended the UFC belt twice, which, uh, did he do it twice? He did do it twice against Frank Mir and... Yeah. Defended it twice, yes. yeah. What, I guess Defended it twice, one, three, which at the time, tied, at that time, tied a UFC record or set the UFC record, which just shows you how volatile up until that point the heavyweight division had been and to a certain extent continued to be so. Yes, yeah, it is, really. It really we still is. And the reason, but, but it's still yeah. one of the most volatile, mainly because of the heavy hitters. That's it. Anyone can get in there, and if they, they land that shot, most people most people won't withstand the, the kind of leather and the heat that they're throwing. So I will give Brock credit for that, but he then came up against a proper, well-rounded, dynamic mixed martial artist. And this this really was the beginning of the end. Kane, Kane put a pace on him and put a beating on him that Lesnar had never seen before. And I don't think he ever wanted to see again. It was it was absolutely brutal. Kane took him Brock took Kane down once and Kane popped straight back to his feet like it was nothing. Uh, super explosive athlete. And Brock was like, oh, shit. And from that point, Kane punched on him, ground and pounded him, and really, uh, you know, just just dominated him basically from the opening bell of the fight, uh, landed shots on him. And the exact same thing that he did with Shane Carwin, he started taking punches and instead of intelligently defending himself, he turns away, put you know, leans against the cage, and and Kane just 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 works on him until it's all over. 
and became a very deserving and very dominant UFC heavyweight champion until unfortunately injuries really stole what could have been a guy at that time who really would have posted a, a very difficult to beat uh, record for consecutive heavyweight title defenses because Kane was Kane was something else at that time. said impacted by injuries a lot but for sure if you throw a prime cane into the octagon tomorrow with any of the best heavyweights he's going toe to toe to him and he's probably fitter than every single one of them maybe not for the freakness in Garner, but everyone else he's definitely up there yeah he, he he truly was was special um to 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 come back he he won he he lost re, regained the, the ufc heavyweight championship yeah, just just a really really special heavyweight whose whose career was was badly affected by injuries and long long layoffs. So uh, a real shame for Kane, but this is a, a Brock Lesnar podcast, so let's let's stay on him. Yeah, shout because out one Kane, thing, I, Kane's a, Kane's a legend. Shout out, shout out, shout out Kane. I got to say here, I got I got to <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I do have to say, uh, in fairness to Brock Lesnar, in his post fight interview. He was incredibly gracious and humble in his defeat to Cain Velasquez. He made no excuses. He said the better man won. Uh, and he, I think he won a lot of fans because he he had been that brash, angry character, that bit of a heel type guy, giving the finger to the crowd. But he he seemed genuine in his, you know, in his, in his uh, you know, in sportsmanship. And he took that loss really, really well. Although, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not take a loss well when you got absolutely uh, battered from 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 start to finish. But I got, but I do want to give Brock some credit there. Now we got to mention at this point that Brock, throughout his career, uh, you know, he almost died after having uh, diverticulitis, which is this colon disease, and he had to have serious surgeries, have big pieces taken out of his stomach. And so that that really, as I you know, as I noticed at the start, that really took time away from his training and his ability to compete as often as he liked, and potentially this superhuman freakish potential that we, we we've talked about, this insane strength, this athleticism, the ability to close distance like a middleweight despite weighing two hundred and eighty pounds, that those tools could have been honed and turned into something more, but in the end, he never got the opportunity because of the surgeries and the, the chronic stomach issues that prevented him from training before he even uh, was properly diagnosed with what the condition was. 
Yeah. I, one of the probably not very well-known things about Brock Lesnar that he had that little – it was life-threatening and it was super serious and I guess you can research into a little bit. He, he has talk, talked about it a fair bit since, but kind of heavy that like such a superhuman-style person can still have such a – I guess it. I guess it just reassures you that he is a human and not some robot that was created by someone in a lab and just sent to destroy every human and heavyweight fighter in the world and the Undertaker. Shout out WWE. But I guess I want to talk about also and very very briefly because it's now ruled a no contest. Brock's last fight with Mark Hunt was. Probably one of the worst fights I've seen. <laughs> uh, I watched it again. It's quite obvious that Brock is juiced up to the eyeballs once again. Mark Hunt, who has maybe the heaviest hands, top five heaviest hands ever in the UFC, and not the best cardio, probably bottom five cardio ever in the UFC, and it's nearly a match made in hell, although... The bookmakers thought it was going to be one of the best fights ever. It really didn't live up to the hype. It was on the UFC 200 card. Everyone was talking about it, and I watched it again recently, and it's just flat. The atmosphere is just kind of flat after it rather than what it should be, the heavyweights getting everyone excited and ready for uh, the main event that's coming up. But Brock still looks super fit. Uh, Mark Hunt didn't look that fit. I think Mark Hunt was in his early 40s at that point. Brock was a little bit younger but still hit nearing 40. And then at the end of the day, it was ruled a no contest that last fight because Brock Lesnar tested positive to, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was some form of anabolic steroid from what I gather and kind of that little blip at the end of his UFC career. Yeah. I mean, he was, he tested positive for something called uh, chlaminophene. And my understanding is the only reason that a man, a male athlete would be taking it as a masking agent to cover a test result for anabolic steroids or other banned substances. And I'm sorry, you can talk about all of the, you know, the athletes in the world that you want. There are some people when you look at them and they don't pass the eyeball test, you know that they're going to piss hot. Brock Lesnar has been juicing for years. You can just tell by the, the absolute look of his physique. It was the same with Alistair Overeem, who, you know, we're going to circle back and talk about that fight in a second, who, when he came into the UFC, was Overeem, who has the most ridiculous physique you've ever seen on someone. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. There's not possible to build and maintain that sort of muscular physique whilst also doing hours upon hours of cardiovascular training as you need to do to compete in mixed martial arts, to be not doing specific exercises for building muscle like you're a bodybuilder without the aid of some other substances. It's just not possible. So Brock throughout his entire career has been on the gas and then he fought Alistair Overeem, who at the time was Uberim, was one of the most terrifying things you've ever seen, one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time, uh, Pride Grand Prix winner, K1 world champion, absolute legend of, the, uh, of kickboxing, came out of the Dutch school of kickboxing, just absolutely murdered people, and was pissing hot, 
eating horse meat and just an all-round terrifying looking dude. And he came out and he kicked the shit out of Brock Lesnar and he kicked him right in his stomach where he'd had his uh, diverticulitis surgery. Because after the, um, yeah, because it was, Brock was making his comeback off of surgery and, and Alistair Overeem showed no quarter and throughout that fight, unloaded a barrage of knees to his stomach and then everyone's seen the finish of just a body kick drops lesnar to the ground and it's all and it's all over all over him and there he threw one to the body and that one hurt him bad that one went to the liver and he jumps on him and finishes him off with punches and a lot of these were blocked but then he threw one to the body and that was it mario yamasaki saw enough so it was another shot to the body that did it look at that he threw that one and that one hurt him bad. That was a shin to the liver. And Alistair jumps all over him. He's covering up mostly, but he's really waiting for this fight to be stopped. Well, now look at this. Digs to the body, and that's what, that was all he needed to see. Now, here's a knee early. That one went to the leg, but here this one to the body. Powerful shot to the body there. And Brock tries to reply with one of his own. This fight went according to plan for that man, Alistair Overeem. Now, in fairness, that was a fight that Brock Lesnar was never, ever going to win. Alistair Overeem was just in a different stratosphere of, of mixed martial arts capability, but it was certainly exacerbated by the fact that Brock was coming off surgery. But I would say to you, there's never been hotter piss inside of an octagon than Brock Lesnar and Alistair Overeem. They could have stood back to back, whipped him out, started pissing. It would have cut a hole in the ring and they would have dropped through because those two dudes are just absolutely, uh, you know, laying hot when it comes to those tests. Yeah, the couple of flamethrowers once they get under their fly, I reckon. I think um, <laughs> a couple of tripods too while we're at it. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, there's no arguing with what you just said, man. That If you just go and Google the weigh-in photos, it is nearly laughable how big those two men are. And there's... I'm sure, I'm sure as soon as you look at those, there'll be the photos next to it of Alistair <laughs> Overeem two years later, still fucking jacked, but nowhere near yeah, the person. But nowhere near. No. And it was coincided right with when the UFC really adopted the new strict USADA testing regime as well. And he was, this is the thing, he was never going to get to that size without being a big dude athletic with a big frame on him i understand that he was always same with brock lesnar brock lesnar was huge in college he was a he was a viking heavyweight wrestler but he wasn't that big he wasn't that ridiculously jacked so uh yeah some something fishy going on there uh but but i think you know probably would uh, a, a lot of people would would tend to agree and that was you know that was it he 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 lost to to Overeem. he came back and he had that Really dodgy situation against Mark Hunt, who is still to this day pursuing a lawsuit against the UFC uh, related to this fight because they, he was granted an exemption because he'd been outside of the USADA testing pool and it was some real sneaky shit and he was granted an exemption to compete. He ended up testing positive and Lesnar's, uh, excuse me, Mark Hunt has been suing the UFC and is still going through that process because Mark Hunt, everyone that Mark Hunt has fought in the UFC or many of them, um, you know, prob have been have been on the gas at one point, <laughs> or at least or at least have been doing uh, testosterone replacement therapy before it become banned as well. So Paul Paul Mark Hunt got definitely got a short short end of the stick uh, with with that one. So 
testosterone that, replacement I'm, therapy when they replace it with 10 times the amount of testosterone yes they they're like oh require. you've lost the test yes yeah. you've lost your testosterone here let me give you the testosterone of 80 15 year old boys let's get you <laughs> let's, let's get you back up to scratch <laughs> i think what they mean by replacement is let's replace the last 20 years of testosterone that you've lost in one hit and see how you go <laughs> and then Bada bing, bada bang, you look like Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> you look like Vitor Belfort. <laughs> Spinning head kicks for days. TRT Vitor was one of the most terrifying looking humans, by the way, despite fighting at, at middleweight. He, he, oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Just absolutely rid- yep. ridiculous. Yep. But we are still talking about Brock Lesnar here on Punch Drunk History, and we're going to start wrapping things up. But what we're going to do here is introduce a concept that we're going to be bringing up at the end of all of our Punch Drunk History podcasts podcast and that is the punch drunk pyramid now there's going to be there's four tiers here and each one represents how willing you are to spend your money to watch these legendary fighters compete i'm i'm gonna pick my level and adam's gonna pick his and we're gonna keep track of it and and build our own little personal pyramids but starting down at level four we're in the uncle dana danger zone that's illegally streaming. And we know now Dana's going to come to your house. And he's going to find you and he's going to let Francis Ngannou beat the shit out of you if he catches you illegally streaming. So that's level four. You don't want to spend any money and you want to take the chance that Dana White's going to find you and murder you. Level three, next one up, let's get down the pub. I'm not going to pay for this pay-per-view, but, you know, let's go down, have a beer, have a parmy and chips and watch this fight, scream a little bit at the big screen. Support level the two. Support the local. That's it. Support, yeah. Support your support your local chain pub. Um, level two. <laughs> <laughs> level two. Sure let your mate in. pay for this. Yeah. Let your uh, let your mate pay for this one. You know, everyone's got that hardcore MMA fan mate who basically pays for every pay per view. Or you know, if you add him, he just buys him and then he writes him off on his tax return because he pretends like he's actually working while he's Shut doing the fuck it. Up. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> and. Level one is shut up and take my money. You're at home. You're paying for this. You don't want any distractions or you're willing to pay for it, have people over to your place and make an event because you're absolutely jacked up for this one. So, Adam, tier one, two, three, four, where did Brock Lesnar sit on the Punch Drunk Pyramid for you? Brock Lesnar on the Punch Drunk Pyramid, history app number one. I've got to throw him level one, man. Level one for me, shut up and take my money. Brock Lesnar, he's fighting in the UFC. Are you fucking serious? I'm buying the first one. And then he loses and I'm devastated. And I'm like, fuck, I can't believe he lost. He was my man, I'm a huge WWE fan. What am I gonna do? Oh, Brock Lesnar's fighting again. Shut up and take my money, I'm buying it again. Number two, let's go, let's go, let's go. All right, and then he wins and then I'm all hyped up and then he's fighting for the championship against Randy fucking I'm buying this one too. Shut up and take my money. And then he goes again and again and again. And I bought every single one of those bad boys because for me that was just donating to the to see someone that is an absolute freak of a human. Shut up and take my money. Brock Lesnar is number one all day, every day. Where are you putting him? Fair enough. It's good to see you donated all that money to his $2.5 million purse to wrestle hump. 
Mark Hunt while he was gassed to the gills on them on them roids. But anyway, <laughs> I actually donated it to myself technically, but that's another story. <laughs> now, uh, for for me, Brock Lesnar, personally, he's in the level two. I, you know, I would split the pay-per-view with someone or, you know, let a mate pay for it. I'm not super hyped about it. But all I can't do is deny the fact that this man put eyeballs on the screen. He moved and created pay-per-view records. And that's why I've got to at least, after I've spent most of this podcast trashing the guy, I've got to at least put some respect on his name and put him in the shut up and take my money category as well. Because he was a superstar. He was a phenomenon in the sport. And whether you liked him, hated him, you were likely tuning in to see Brock Lesnar compete inside the uh, you know, the eight-sided cage, which we call the octagon. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. How about that for an absolute 180? We've gone 40 minutes straight of Lewis slamming one of the greats of combat sports. And then he's just thrown him at level one of basically our Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. Is Lewis a fraud or is Lesnar a freak? Find out in the next episode. (laughs) No, I just, you know... If we're talking about ability, one, two, three, four, I'm putting that guy down in like level three. I'll be, I'll be honest. But we're talking about a needle mover, a pioneer. I'm really needle gonna. Mover. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking we're another gonna... pot shot at him. <laughs> and we're gonna, you know, segue this into the final question that we're gonna sort of talk about before we wrap things up. Here is Brock Lesnar's timing of entering the UFC. Adam, was it early? Was it late? Or was it just right? I'm actually really struggling with this one. I can't... I want to say it was perfect, but I think he might have been a little bit late. If If he came in two years before, he's more of a freak athlete. Five years before, he's more of a freak athlete. But the... It, it was the obvious choice to come in when he came in. I think the UFC was just getting big. His WWE career was so established and he had achieved so much. So for him, it was the perfect timing. For the UFC, I think he came in just a little bit late. See, interesting. I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to say for the UFC, it was the perfect timing. For Brock Lesnar personally, it was a little bit late. Because... They needed some excitement injecting into the heavyweight division, and he certainly brought that. Whether you liked him, hated him, he came, shattered pay-per-view records, and and lit up the heavyweight division and was a bridge from the old to the new. He was that guy that bridged the gap between Randy Couture all the the way through to Cain Velasquez, then Junior Dos Santos, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think for the UFC, it was perfect because when when the heavyweight division is doing well, the UFC is doing well. And we're going to see that now with Francis and Garner moving into the future. I think if Brock could have come in a couple of years earlier, had a few more fights before he fought for the title, got himself a little bit more well-rounded, I think it would have been better for him personally. And he might have had, you know, a more successful, which sounds silly to say because he was the UFC heavyweight champion and defended the belt twice, but a more successful career than that, or at least a longer career, and might not have got disposed of once he got into the you know the you know top twenty, top fifteen fighters in the world, um, you know in in that sort of the modern era of the heavyweight division. So, for the UFC, 
perfect. They did their business. They sold pay-per-views. They made a shitload of money, and they they raised up the profile of the promotion, uh, and were really able to capitalize on that. For Brock, maybe it was a little too soon, or a little too late. Excuse me. Yeah, I think, I think that that both they're really good points too. I think at the end of the day, the UFC and Brock were both winners. So I guess yeah. I guess the way we could look at it is he definitely wasn't too early. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like he he came in if he if he comes in two years later it's too late but if he comes in you know five years later the 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 levels that the other people are on it's just insane the the capabilities of a heavyweight now compared to then are, are just otherworldly other than a couple like the Velasquez types Overeem as well both superstars but yeah the upper echelon of the heavyweights now it's it's another level and. It's, the timing of this is weird because we've just sort of seen the birth of someone whose potential seems limitless right now in Francis and Garner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that I think that sums it up nicely, and it's probably a good good way to 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 tie a bow on this very first episode of Punch Drunk History. Before we get out of here, a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of admin. We are now on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or whatever the heck they're calling it these days. So if you are an Apple Podcast listener, if you do have an Apple device, please help support the podcast. Head on over to Punch Drunk Pod. Subscribe. Rate us five stars. Leave a little review. Leave us some questions if you like. Whatever whatever you want to put in that comment section, that's entirely up to you. But it really is a huge support for the podcast because it helps us get pushed up uh, into people when they search MMA, for example, it helps them find this podcast without necessarily finding a link directly. So that really helps us. We are on Spotify. We are on YouTube. We are Punch Drunk MMA on Instagram and on, on Twitter and Instagram. Punch Adam? Drunk Pod, Punch Drunk Pod, but yes, Punch Drunk Pod at Twitter, Punch, Punch Drunk, Pod. Drunk Pod at Instagram, and Punch Drunk Pod at YouTube as well if you're looking for us there. You've summed all that up perfectly. As I say every week, you can grow with us as listeners as we grow as podcasters. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. We will be in your feeds and in your hearts every single week. Thanks for listening, everyone.